Hello, Dennis. My name is Mr. Woodward, and this is my friend, Mr. Bernstein. Since when are we friends, Bob? I'm just talking to the kid, Carl. Ooh, what's this? Please don't touch that. It's a tape recorder, so we have a record of our conversation. So, Dennis, we know that you made frequent, almost daily visits to the White House, and then they suddenly stopped. Why? How come you guys don't have any toys in this room? Because it's a conference room for grown-ups. Listen, kiddo, we're asking the questions here, okay? Why? Because we're reporters. Why? Because it's our job. Why? Because we went to college and got hired by the Washington Post. Well, we didn't all go to Yale. Some of us dropped out of college and just worked our way in. Oh, Carl, why bring that up? It doesn't matter. Why? It doesn't matter because we know what you're doing, Dennis, and it's not going to work. Why? Because we're too smart for this. Says the college dropout. Ah, I knew it. You still don't respect me, do you? I'm writing a book with you. Yeah, because you have to. Uh, why are we even talking to this kid? I'm going to the pub. <laughs> Dennis, that's his solution to everything. Why? Richard Milhouse Nixon became the 37th President of the United States and took up residence at the White House at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I have provided the special prosecutor voluntarily a great deal of material. I believe that I have provided all the material that he needs to conclude his investigations. I believe the time has come to bring that investigation to an end. One year of Watergate is enough. In June 1971, Henry Mitchell, an aerospace engineer, moved his family to Washington, D.C., into a modest row house along Pennsylvania Avenue with his wife Alice and their only child, a precocious and mischief-prone boy of five named Dennis. Dennis, there's a nice young lady named Margaret at our front door. She'd like to see you. Can you stall her for a few more minutes? I'm not done filling up my water balloons yet. By forces so random that no statistician would dare calculate the odds, the president and five-year-old Dennis would develop a thoroughly extraordinary relationship, one that some argue would change the course of American history. For BBC Radio 11's award-winning docuseries, Portraitures of Power, I'm Rebecca Baker, and this is Mr. Nixon and the Menace. Chapter 6, The Twilight of Power Soon after the Saturday Night Massacre, Nixon releases some of the subpoenaed tapes to the Senate Watergate Committee. Then, on November 21st, it is revealed that there is an 18 and a half minute section missing from a crucial conversation between Nixon and Haldeman. The 18 and a half minute gap spurns incertitude, distrust, and anger among the media and the American people. The gap was Dennis. Anyone in the president's inner circle knew Dennis had been caught fiddling with the machine like he was a cosmonaut on his way to the moon. The president never told me the gap was Dennis's fault, but I had my suspicions and I tacitly shared them with Judge Sirica. Nixon's personal secretary, Rosemary Woods, ended up taking the public blame for the erasure, though her explanation was, quite literally, an extraordinary stretch. 
As the tapes were released, any trace of Dennis's presence in the West Wing was eliminated from the transcripts. Judge Sirica concluded that as a minor, there was no need for Dennis to endure the same harsh spotlight that would befall the president and his staff. As a result, any appearance or mention of Dennis was completely expunged from the official transcripts. To this day, key figures are still skeptical about the president's position that Dennis faced no public scrutiny whatsoever. Many will say that the president kept Dennis out of the public eye to protect the innocence of the child. But uh, those in the know understand that uh, the president was, in actuality, protecting himself. In 1974, the president hoped the investigations would finally wind down, but the outcry for Nixon to turn over all his tapes only got louder. Like Linda Lovelace in the movie Deep Throat, we are being attacked on multiple fronts. Subpoenas left and right, impeachment hearings in the House, and the president's battle to maintain executive privilege over his tapes was going all the way to the Supreme Court. On July 24, 1974, the Supreme Court handed down its decision in the United States versus Richard Nixon and ordered the president to turn over all his tapes. Uh, days later, the smoking gun tape would emerge and the president would have nearly irrefutable evidence uh, against him. And yet, as the smoking gun conversation between Nixon and Haldeman became public, and the House Judiciary Committee adopts articles of impeachment against the president, Nixon displayed an unyielding will to press on. The president was still not convinced he should resign. He was content to let the impeachment proceedings run their course. On August 7, 1974, three prominent Republican senators candidly tell the president that his chances of surviving removal from office by impeachment are gloomy. It was after this meeting that the president had a chance encounter with an unexpected but familiar adversary. Thank you for coming by, Senators. Take care, Barry. It seems they have provided an honest appraisal of the situation, Mr. President. And they are pretty much our closest allies in Congress at this point, sir. They're not bullshitting. Quiet, just give it a minute now. I hear what Goldwater and the rest are saying, but I am not ready to quit just yet. Dick Nixon is not a quitter, no. So let, let's see if we can conjure up some kind of a solution. If we just sit here and take a moment of peace and quiet to think. Of course, sir. Shh, I apologize. No, oh, it's the Cubans. Bay of Pigs, they're coming for me. Ah! Oh, my. What in the name of Dwight D. Eisenhower? A baseball! Our first lady insisted he still be allowed on the grounds as long as he stayed away from the Rose Garden and out of your sight. Dennis! Dennis Mitchell, I know you're out there, so just come in here right now to collect your baseball. Dennis, you were told to keep your games away from the West Wing. I know, Mr. Not Bob. But today they put all kinds of chemicals on the North Lawn, which I don't mind or nothing, but... That's enough for both of you. Hey, Henry, I'd like the room. Of course, Mr. President. Yes, 
Gosh, Mr. Nixon, I had no idea I could hit like that. Dennis. Been hitting mostly grounders lately, and I'm just real sorry about your window, but you got some really big windows. Dennis. Okay. Mm, sorry is all. No, Dennis. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to you. My outburst at our last meeting was out of line for the office of the presidency. Furthermore, it was not the conduct of the man my mother raised me to be. I've come to realize that you and I are more alike than different. Because we both hate Henry? Oh, <laughs> yes. More than that, though, we are both men who find ourselves prejudged and misunderstood. People call me tricky. People call you a menace. I used to see myself in you, Dennis, but now I realize you're better than me. You always have been. Gosh, thanks, Mr. Nixon. Do I have your forgiveness, Dennis? Um, can I have ice cream? You can have all the ice cream in the White House. Then yes. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, have the staff bring some ice cream around. Should, should we play a game, too? Let's play checkers. You know, I've never lost a game. Okay, then. On the presidential checkerboard, too. All righty, Dennis, my boy. We'll see how your checkers strategy stacks up against the top diplomatic minds of this age. <laughs> As the president reconciled with young Dennis, it became clear to his aides that Nixon was yet again happy to retreat from the external maelstrom of criticism and fall back into a renewed, light-hearted alliance with Dennis Mitchell. Kissinger and Haig watched on with bated breath as the president seemed more than happy to prattle on about the Lone Ranger and the start of a new school year with Dennis, all while the country howled for his resignation. That is, until... Ha! Ah, king me! Ha <laughs> ah, darn it! Uh, shrewd use of the double-jump maneuver, sir. Mr. President, Ray Price has dropped off the uh, two speeches for your edits. Do you know which one you'd like to read? If you plan to address the American people tomorrow night, we'll have to tell the networks soon. Uh-oh, that's a bad move. I'm, I'm sorry, what's a bad move, sir? Not you, Haig. Dennis, you're putting yourself at a major offensive disadvantage if you complete that jump. I know what I'm doing. That's my move. All right. Well, if that's your move, I'll just have to do this. Up, up, up. I tried to warn you. I don't want to play anymore. Want to play again? Well, Dennis, I must say, I never expected you to be a sore loser and a quitter. I didn't quit. I just decided to end the game on my terms. You were losing and you threw the board off the table. I ain't never lost a game of checkers. That game got boring, so I decided it was over. Now, Dennis, you're just playing a game of semantics. No, I was playing a game of checkers. So... You're saying you didn't lose, and you didn't quit. Yep. That game just stopped. And you stopped it on your terms. That's right. This boy never ceases to amaze me. Hey, can you bring me a copy of the speech Price wrote, the one where I stopped playing on my terms? Of course, Mr. President. Dennis, uh, perhaps you would like to square off against me. I was president of the Harvard College chess squad, and I... I want to play the game where Henry is a horse! <laughs> that is one of my favorites, Henry. I will not participate in any horseplay. 
Finally, convinced he could go out on his own terms, the president announced his resignation on national television on August 8th. Therefore, I shall resign the presidency, effective at noon tomorrow. The following day, Nixon delivered a heartfelt speech to the White House staff as he prepared to depart. As we leave, we leave proud of the people who have stood by us and worked for us and served this country. Following his remarks to the staff, Nixon spied Denisov to the side and the press covering the scene recorded their exchange. Hello, Dennis. Glad to see you made it. Well, I had to come back. Oh, did you? Yeah. After you tossed me out with Green Beret Johnny, I had to hide him back in the Rose Garden. My parents still don't allow him in the house. Peace with honor. Fire in the hole! You snuck him back into the Rose Garden? I had to, sir. After I put on his new helicopter outfit, of course. Of course. Very good, Dennis. Very impressive. Well, what are you doing now? I don't know. I found some pennies on the floor I might throw in the reflection pond. How would you like to throw those pennies from a couple hundred feet up from the presidential helicopter? Would I? Now, Dennis, if you ride on the presidential helicopter, you've got to listen to everything the pilot says. You understand? You bet, Mr. Nixon. I'm the best at following directions. Long before Richard Nixon climbed aboard Marine One and waved a final time as the President of the United States, Dennis had scampered on board, ready and waiting with Green Beret Johnny and a pocket full of pennies. It is worth mentioning that after all the back and forth, the mind games and board games, the broken trust and busted windows, the tapes, the snakes and the cowboys, it was Dennis who was there at the end to lift up the president as he left the office which meant so much to him. The question remains now some 16 years later, as it did that fateful August day. Was Dennis Mitchell responsible for Nixon's untimely and shameful resignation from the office of the presidency? Alexander Haig seems to think not. When it comes to Dennis, well, I can't blame him as much as others because all that boy did was tap into a side of the president that had always been there. You can't get mad at Dennis without being disappointed with the president. Mr. Haldeman, looking back after 16 years, what do you think about the impact of Dennis Mitchell? Listen, Becky, it, it may seem crazy to blame the entire unfortunate series of events on the action of some neighborhood ne'er-do-well, but how else can you rectify the president's incredible triumphs in his lifetime of political savvy with such a foolish and pitiful downfall? So, do I blame Dennis? You're fucking goddamn right I do. I went to prison. Mr. Kissinger. Please, Rebecca, as our time comes to a close, you simply must consider joining me in Paris. It is uh, the perfect city for comprehensive peace accord negotiations and uh, for lovers. Mr. Secretary, I'm afraid that in either arena you simply won't be able to keep up. Now then, do you blame Dennis for how the president left office? It is clear the president was uh, largely ruined by his relationship uh, with the boy. And yet, some claims that Dennis had saved the president as well. 
They argue that Dennis gave the president the one thing his long career in politics never did afford him, the gift of friendship. I, uh, however, would uh, not argue that. The question of accountability can ultimately be answered by one man, the ex-president himself living a thoughtful but quiet life in San Clemente, California. The portraitures of power staff made repeated attempts to ascertain an official comment from the Nixon camp, but none was provided. Finally, I made the trip myself to Nixon's Western White House, also known as La Casa Pacifica, and attempted a personal plea to the president for any comment at all. After initial rebuffs from the president's staff, on the day I was set to depart, I received the following note, written by the president himself. It reads thusly, Dennis Mitchell was a fine young man who came by the White House from time to time and would, would visit, visit with, with Pat, Pat and, and I. I. He was a very curious and occasionally boisterous child, but beneath his juvenile addicts was a good kid with a good heart. I considered him then, as I still do now, to be my White House best friend. Sincerely, Richard Nixon. Menace Nixon is written and produced by Mark Cozen. Vocal performances include Bill Sage as Richard Nixon, Henry Kissinger, Walter Cronkite, and Carl Bernstein. Nikki Breyer as Dennis Mitchell. Stacy Ritchie as Rebecca Baker. Richard Tatum as Bob Haldeman, Alexander Haig, and Bob Woodward. Ty Nielsen as Commander Eugene Cernan and Judge John Sirica. David Chen as Alexander Butterfield, White House Tour Guide, and Green Beret Johnny and Mark Cozen as John Dean. Original music written and produced by Kenny Wood. Sound editing and sound mixing by Carrie Barber. Special thanks to Nick Walker, Rob O'Brien, Tad Dagenhart, Charlie Kidlinger, Adair Cole, and everyone else who assisted in this peculiar satirical production. Copyright 2016. Gordon Liddy.